Welcome to Living Stones, a weekly Bible study designed to challenge you, sharpen you, and equip you to be doers of God's word and not hearers only, with the intent of winning souls for the kingdom, walking in dominion over the enemy, and making a difference in the lives of others for God's glory. And now your host, Pastor Derek Thomas. Praise the Lord. It's truly a blessing to be together once again to go into our time of Bible study. We're in the midst of our series on faith. And tonight we're going to be dealing with the second lesson uh, it's entitled Faith Under Fire. And the scripture is going to be found in the first chapter of Job. Let's pray. We thank you and praise you, Father, for the time that we have to spend in your word. And we pray that you continue to be with us and guide us, Lord. Speak through the vessel you've chosen for this moment, God, to bring forth the word in teaching format, O oh God. Give us clarity and insight and direction, Father God, that we would truly become doers of your word even the more and not hearers only. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the question is raised, how do you handle adversity? And there are so many different ways. Some people handle adversity by cowering and running. Others handle adversity by disassociating themselves, thinking that if I just ignore it long enough, it'll go away. Others still handle adversity by becoming uber assertive or aggressive and kind of doing overkill. While on the contrary, others still become totally passive and just absolutely cower under the weight of what they're dealing with. All of those responses are normal and all of those responses are very human. Yet it's interesting to note that while they're common and while they're very human, none of them line up with the response that's associated with faith. We talk about being individuals that desire to walk by faith and not by sight. And we talk about being individuals that want to be followers of Christ and want to be clear and accurate reflections of him. Even with this ministry and, and being title living witness ministries, the root phrase in there is living witness and our desire is to be living witnesses of God. And in order to be living witnesses of God, which is why we're dealing with this particular series and this particular topic, it's requiring us to walk like never before by faith. When we look at the times that we're in now, we realize that faith is needed to be effective as God would desire us to be effective in this time. And the individual that's the object lesson that I chose for our time together tonight is Job. And you might say, well, why would you pick Job of, of all people in a time like this? Well, I picked Job because Job is very much like so many of us. And Job responded exactly how God desires us to respond in times of adversity. What Job did is he demonstrated, as our title for tonight says, he demonstrated faith under fire. And faith is most valuable and most effective, beloved, when it's done under fire. All of us face different levels of adversity in life. And what God wants us to do is get to the point of not being comfortable with the adversity, but being so comfortable with him that we're not even focused on the adversity because all of our focus is on God. So much so that we find ourselves saying things that to the average mind and to the average ear sounds absolutely insane. Things like what Job said. Look at what it said in verses 21 and 22. It says here, and he, he being Job said, 
Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And here's a payoff. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. And you may say, well, pastor, that's kind of heavy. That's kind of intense. How did Job live in such a fashion so that he didn't give God any charge with wrongdoing? Well, what he did is he realized, like we discussed last week, he realized that his reliance, his essence, every fiber of his being was housed in God and his trust in God because he knew he could rely fully on God. There was a line of, of, of stuff that people wore back in the 90s, I believe it was, the WWJD movement, What Would Jesus Do movement. And I took a different spin on that, like in the early 2000s. I, I remember preaching a message where I said we should really take the frog approach. approach. Instead of WWJD, we should be F-R-O-G, fully reliant upon God. Because in layman's terms, as we discussed last week, that's the working definition for us as believers in the world, practically, of what faith is. Faith is fully relying on God. Feeling froggy every day. Feeling in the mindset that no matter what comes my way, I'm going to fully rely on God. You want to throw that at my way? You want to throw that at me? That's okay. I'm going to fully rely on God. You want to make me upset right now? Not going to worry about it. I'm going to fully rely on God because when I fully rely on God, he's going to bring me through the adversity. Just so we have a platform from which we're working tonight, adversity defined is a condition that's marked by misfortune. Now, the condition that's marked by misfortune means it, it, it would stand to reason that the average naked eye would look at it as that individual just has bad luck all around them. That individual, every time they come along, things just seem to go haywire. But I submit to you tonight that what adversity is designed to do at times, particularly in the life of the believer, is to set him up for a tremendous blessing as long as we're willing to do the exercise necessary to get that blessing and that exercise is faith. Now the word adversity, while I just gave you Webster's definition, the word adversity comes from three, a combination of three different root Hebrew words that depending on the degree of misfortune speaks to the degree of adversity. The first word is sila, C-E-L-A. And that's a word that literally means a halting or a fall, meaning things actually stop being the way they were and actually fall off being the way they were because of circumstances that hit. It's like hitting a brick wall in a situation and it just knocks you down. The second one is kara, C-A-R-A-H. And that's that word literally means affliction. Or straits, like when one finds themselves in dire straits, it's the step beyond hitting the wall. It's like once you hit the wall and you fall down, you, you become afflicted. It's like you hit the wall and you hurt yourself. And now you're a measure of incapacitated and you're not able to function and move as much as you would like to be able to function and move in the situation. You become, here's the word, reliant upon something else. Which leads us to the last word that is from, and that's ra, R-A, which means bad, evil, or harmful. The most intense aspect of adversity that we can face. So it goes beyond the hitting of the wall, beyond the point of being afflicted, to the point of the mind now being affected. The trauma now 
taking place in the mind and taking root in the mind so that we become paranoid about everything around us. Everything becomes bad. And, and that's the environment in which evil can abound and, and harmful things can happen where if you take if I take it from the psychological approach, just to put my psychologist hat on, where things like, like schizophrenia and, and paranoia can, can take root in, in the mind and truly change our behavior. Change our behavior so much so that people that once knew us may be like may, may wonder, well who in the world is this person? I don't remember this person and it's done in a negative way. And one thing we have to understand and learn about the enemy, if you remember nothing else, remember this fundamental truth that the enemy can do nothing more than imitate what only God can create. Let me say that again. All the enemy can do is imitate what God can ultimately create. That's significant because the word of God tells us that we're a peculiar people. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation, which means he created us not to be like everybody else. And that's by his divine design, because when he has us not being like everybody else, the lesson that he's trying to relay through our activity and our actions is to show just how awesome God is, because God can take us from nothing as filthy rags or less per the word and use us to lift him up to do the miraculous. But what the enemy tries to do is pervert that thing through adversity to get us looking crazy and look, get us looking out of sorts and get us looking the exact opposite of what God created us to be. So we have to understand the correlation between faith and adversity. So the foundational working definition of faith, as we've said before, is absolute reliance on God or frog fully relying on God. And if you remember last week in the Old Testament, there were two words that we used. And since we're in the Old Testament, we're going to focus on those two words, uh, the word amun, which is faithfulness, and the word amen, which is trusty or trustworthy. Now, if you remember last week, the word amen is where we get the word amen from when we close out our prayers, which means we're in agreement. So God's ultimate end is for us to be in a state of amen with him in total agreement. But that's challenging when adversity comes along, because when adversity comes along, it leaves you thinking, well, God, you brought me to this point and you want me to be in agreement with this situation. How can I be in agreement with something that appears as if it will harm me? How can I be in agreement with a situation that? It appears as if it's going to destroy my very existence. How can I be in agreement with a situation? And here's the reality of it. How can I be in agreement with a situation where I don't see the way out? And this is where we have to remember and realize that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. This is where we have to do this thing God's way and not man's way and not the world's way. And this is why you have to understand that the correlation between faith and adversity. I mentioned it last week in Bible study concerning faith as an example practically of what faith is. Faith is when we're running towards the source of the spiritual upheaval at the same time that everybody else is running away from it. 
what we're running towards it's like our, our first responders and we praise and thank god for the first responders not only in in the fire arena and the police arena but even now in the pandemic in the medical arena when everybody else is running away from the hospital and away, away from the wards and away from the senior centers those healthcare workers are running in daily running in nightly running in overnightly to do the work of ministry that's needed to bring forth life in an environment where it seems that death is abounding. To take it in the terminology of what we're talking about, which is a correlation between faith and adversity, adversity is the atmosphere in which exercised faith flourishes and God is glorified by the believer. Let me repeat that again. Adversity is the atmosphere in which exercised faith exercised faith, excuse me, flourishes and God is glorified by the believer. So adversity is the gym in which we do the work of faith. We have to have an, 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 a place that's set aside to do the work needed to bring about the desired end results. And we're going to go back and address that a little bit later on in the message. But I need you to grab that concept. If you think about a gym or if you think about a weight room or if you think about your workout space or area at home that you've had to develop now because of the adversity that has been COVID-19, you know that it brings about change. And for it to bring about change from without it has to start with a change from within. I know for me personally, from going from having a facility that I could go to and, and work out with weights or work out with cardio equipment, which I'm not crazy about doing, but I do it every now and then anyway, or, or doing what I need to do and then having a place to recover in the form of the hot tub. It goes to, to go from that to having to find space in my home to work out and use perhaps my shower as my hot tub or use perhaps lying across my bed as my place of relaxation or use walking around the blocks of my neighborhood to do my cardio, it, it becomes now not a matter of skill, but it come, becomes a matter of will because now I'm in a place of misfortune, not misfortune that I brought on myself because I didn't ask COVID-19 to come into the world and to come into my neighborhood and to put me in a position where I have to be on lockdown for my own health and safety. But what I have to do now is in the midst of, of adversity, find a way to continue to do what needs to be done so that I can grow and strengthen and flourish in where I'm at. It's called blooming where you're planted. So the correlation of adversity being the atmosphere in which exercised faith flourishes and God is glorified by the believer comes to the forefront. And it comes to the forefront here in the life of Job. Job, in uttering these words that we started with, came to the point where adversity had literally come and knocked on his door. And when adversity came and knocked on his door, it didn't come knocking like a tap, 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 a pleasant knock. It came banging and kicking the door in like law enforcement would if they're looking for a criminal. It came busting in and it took something that was valuable to Job. It took his children. It took his riches. It took his wealth. It took everything that he had. So we need to look at what happened to bring it to that point? Because even in the midst of adversity, there are lessons that we can learn from the adversity. There are things that God wants us to see in adversity. And in looking at this story that brings us to this culminating point of this utterance that came out of Job's mouth as a testimony to God and as an example to us, there are some keys that we can take from this story leading to that point of culmination that will make us effective in exercising our faith in times of adversity. The first key is that we have to understand that our faith transcends our environment 
and our reputation. Our faith transcends our environment and reputation, meaning it's bigger than where we are. It's bigger than what people think about us. You know how sometimes people say your reputation precedes you and they're anticipating something that's going to come out of your mouth or something that you're going to do. They're anticipating how the atmosphere is going to be changed once you arrive on the scene. They're anticipating how things are going to be different as a result of the mix of whatever it is that makes you you, that you bring into a situation. And when we look at that in relation to Job, we have to go back and see from whence Job came to understand how his faith began to transcend his environment. So when we go back and look at his environment, his natural environment, it says in the word that Job dwelled and came from a land called Uz, U-Z. Now, Uz was indeed Job's dwelling place, but Uz itself if you research it out through the Old Testament, up to Job and even beyond, had a reputation. Uz had a reputation of being a region of godlessness and ill repute. And you might say, well, Pastor, how in the world would you go to a place that's known for being godless, known as a place of ill repute, notorious, if you will, of being the antithesis of what God would desire us to reflect. Well, the Bible says that God takes the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, which in and of itself is a foundational tenet of faith. A foundational tenet of faith is that something that looks absolutely like it cannot possibly be used for anything. God will take it and use it and do tremendous works. If you look at Jesus, Jesus was from a place called Nazareth. And when that came up, someone in the New Testament said in, in one of the one of those uh, synoptic gospels, Can any, is there anything good that comes from Nazareth? Is there anything good that comes from a place where where poverty and, and where where uh, a lack of, of, of riches dwells? Can anything come good from there? They were saying in exasperation because the reputation of the region preceded Christ. It preceded the individual. But watch this. Even though the reputation preceded the individual, the individual by faith transcended the reputation. What he went on to become absolutely eclipsed the reputation that Nazareth had. Nobody's talking about Nazareth right now in a negative connotation. People talk about Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth is held as a, as a place of, in high regard. If you go on a Holy Land tour, and my, my wife and I, uh, by faith, we're going to do that before uh, we transition from labor to reward. One of the places that everybody wants to go is to Nazareth, the Church of the Nazarene, where history has it recorded that that's where Jesus was born. It's a place that everybody wants to go to. It's a place that would be a manifestation, if you will, of the scripture that says the stone which the builders rejected have now become the chief and the corner. It's a foundational place that everybody that's a believer that professes Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord wants to go. So going back to us now and going back to Job, this is a place of godlessness and, and ill repute, a place that up to Job's time had a bad reputation. And the reputation, as crazy as it sounds, even got worse. If you look in Jeremiah down the line, it says in verse 20 and, and, and verse 27, 
what the condition is at that time and what the ultimate end game is for that place. And it says here, and all the mingled people, which means it was a place of, of, of impurity. It was, a, it was a mutt type place. And all the kings of the land of Uz and all the kings of the land of the Philistines and Ashkelon and Azza and Ekron and the remnant of Ashdod. Therefore, thou shalt say unto them, which is this group of commingled individuals, this group of individuals that were outside of the way that God had laid out and mandated for his people. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, drink ye and be drunken and spew and fall and rise no more because of the sword which I will send among you. It had gotten so bad that God had spoken through his prophet that judgment had been passed in that instant. Because remember, the Old Testament we talked about this last week was not based on grace. It was based on the law. And faith in the continuum of God of, of Godly and Godless was a sliding scale that if you were found in the midst of Godlessness, faith would bring you into the point of being viewed by God as Godly, even though you were in a Godless place because of the faith that you had in God. You desired to be different. You desired to stand out. You desired to have something, even in a bad place, show you as good. And if it showed you it's good, it transcended where you came from. It transcended the reputation of where you came from into now Job. That's what Job did. Job's family in this place called us was the epitome of love and the blessings of God. His family was the epitome of God's blessings and God's love. Job loved and cared for his family the way God the Father loved and cared for Job, the way that God the Father modern day loves and cares for us. Job loved his family unconditionally, so much so that everything that he did in the midst of his wealth, everything that he did in the midst of his riches, everything that he did in the midst of all that he had, he did not to hoard and keep for himself, but he did it so that he have even more to bless his family with. And the way that he did it was by, was by understanding who God was in his life. He understood that as long as I'm faithful to God, as long as I keep God first in my life, he will continue to bless me. And in order for me to do that, Job would go on to say, I believe in his mind. I, I have to move beyond the reputation of this place. People say that this place is a dead end place and nothing but bad stuff happens in this place. Nothing but bad things are going to end in this place. That may very well be true. But all I know, if, he, if I could take a prophetic voice and speak forward, uh, through the words that Joshua said and apply them or, or speak back rather the words to the words of Joshua said here to the point of Job as for me in my house Job decided to live out what Joshua said we are going to serve the Lord Job taught his family the ways of the Lord his children knew who the Lord was I would even say I mean his wife knew who the Lord was I'd even say that the, the animals knew who the Lord was they knew what time it was they knew the atmosphere because animals can sense when something is different there's something different about the atmosphere when God is present and Job made sure that he kept God present so much so that here's the word the amun of Job Job's amun Job's faithfulness captured the attention of everything around him Job's faithfulness captured the attention of the community in which he lived in us. Job's, Job's faithfulness captured the attention of his 
wife, captured the attention of his children, captured the attention of their spouses so much so that like E.F. Hutton, if you remember the commercial, when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. When Job spoke, everything stopped in his circumference of family and loved ones. And people hearkened. They listened. And when that change took place, when Job's, when Job's a moon captured the attention of everything else, it did more than just capture the attention here on this lateral plane. We have to understand that the cross is made up of two trajectories, a horizontal trajectory that's anchored to a much stronger and much longer vertical base. So Job's faithfulness here on the horizontal plane tapped into something vertically and and, and there was a, a, a conversation about Job in heaven as all this, this was going on. Job's a moon, Job's faithfulness not only captured the attention of the people horizontally around him, but Job's faithfulness captured the attention of both God and Satan. When we're faithful to God, we have to understand and realize that it's not only blessing. We're not only blessing God with our faithfulness. But God is blessing us so that we can be an even greater blessing to his people and an even greater reflection of God. And when that happens, like something glistening way off in the distance, when the light hits it, the sunlight hits it, it draws your attention and it draws you to it. You may not want to go to it, but it draws you to it. The enemy takes notice of you when he sees that you're shining bright in the midst of darkness, when he sees that you're rejoicing in the face of adversity, when he sees that you're giving God praise in the theater of trial, that's when the enemy's going to be like, what's going on over there? I'm throwing everything they can handle in some of them, and they're still praising God. Let me go see what's happening over there. And at the same time, God is saying, that's right, son. That's right, daughter. Praise on, because the more you praise me, the more that I'm present, because my word says that I have it the praises of my people so inevitably just like this illustration in Job chapter 1 there's always a meeting of the minds that takes place whenever we're faithful to God whenever our a moon is showing God is on the scene as is the enemy but the enemy's on the scene to be made known that we're serving God Job's faithfulness and faith were choices that he shared with his family and those choices radiated through his family and into the community. And it began to spread. It began to expand the circle. It began to expand in the region. So even in this area that people said was no good, even in this area that was a hood, even in this area that was a ghetto, even in this area that was just a place that people didn't want to go to, a light began to shine, just like it did in Nazareth. A light began to shine in the darkness. And, and the darkness didn't understand it. The darkness didn't, didn't comprehend it. But the people that were able to comprehend it, they were blessed as a result of it. They were foreshadowers of the word in the New Testament when it talks about that, about individuals that perceived the light became sons and daughters of God. Their a moon began to show. And when their a moon began to show, it began to create a light. And that light began to shine in the darkness. And that, that glow from the light in the darkness drew attention, not only here on a natural plane, but it drew the attention of God in the heavenlies. It drew the attention of the devil in the heavenlies. So much so that a conversation takes place. Conversations take place daily about each and every one of us that say yes to God. Conversations take place daily 
about what may come our way. But we have to understand that faith is not dictated by our environment, but is dictated by our willingness to fully rely on God at all times. And that begins to radiate throughout our sphere of influence and it begins to create a reputation that men notice. But more importantly, God notices it. And once we get to the point of realizing that faith is not even about us, faith is about God. It's about placing God in his proper perspective. It's about having the proper mindset of who God is, taking the proper posture towards God and understanding that it's our place to share the posture and the belief of who God is with any and everybody that's willing to listen and anybody and everybody that's not willing to listen but has ears to hear. Because in Revelation it says, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And every one of us have the capacity to be members of the church because it's based on will. It's based on our decision. And we can't make a decision without the information. And we do a disservice to those that don't know Christ when we opt to walk by sight instead of by faith. Because when we do that, we fail to realize the second key to being effective in our faith. And the second key to effectively exercising our faith in times of adversity. And that second key is that faith goes against the grain and is confrontational because of its optimism. We have to realize that faith by nature is optimism. Faith by nature is being optimistic. The interaction between God and Satan that I referenced earlier in chapter one illustrates the conflict between the optimism of God and the pessimism of Satan. We, we talk about all the time that that that, you know, there are only ultimately two ends here in the Old Testament mindset here. It illustrated based on God had it set up based on the law dynamic where either godly or God less. That did not go away with the inception of the new covenant. The new covenant came into play, which is the essence of what the book of Hebrews is. The new covenant came in as a better version of the original. Jesus himself said that I didn't come to abolish the law to do away with it, but that through me, the law might be fulfilled because going back to Hebrews, Jesus came as Paul penned to be a better way to be a propitiation, a payment in full for our misgivings and our shortcomings so that he could then be the prototype, the blueprint of the new and better version of man that God desires, the higher and better version of ourselves that we talk about today in countless arenas. God is calling us to be higher and better versions of ourselves and being higher and better versions of ourselves begin with the mind. Begin with what our minds are set on. That's why the word says whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are good of, a, are of good report. If there be no God, if there be no negative things in them, we're to think on these things or set our minds on these things. Because the things that we set our mind, the gray matter between our ears that we call a brain on, 
Those are the things that we verb mind or tend to or make our business to make sure that they stay in right standing and right fellowship with their source. Faith is founded and operates in optimism that's based on God's plan for our lives. While fear is satanically manipulated and operates in pessimism based on his schemes he places in our lives. My wife and I were talking about this yesterday. And fear is an acronym that literally means that, you know, false evidence that appears real. But faith, and bear with me because this, this acronym, it always trips me up just a little bit. But faith is fully acknowledging that God intends to truly help us no matter what situations we face so that we ultimately might obtain victory. We have to be fully reliant on God, but above and beyond that, be so confident that God is going to move on our behalf, that we're fully and completely anticipating God to intervene on our behalf in order for us to have the victory that he has for us. If you caught that, that's two different acronyms for the word faith, and both of them are based around the fact of not what we can do, but what God can do, because when we focus on what we can do, that's when we fool around and trip up into fear because we start looking at the evidence that appears real to us because we're looking at it with an untrained eye because this is a spiritual thing. And God's ways, the word says, not our ways and his thoughts, not our thoughts. And again, the enemy has a way of perverting what God's word says. So he's going to make us think that that thing that you're looking at right there is God's way for you and it is God's thoughts about you and it's not the case. Because if we believe that, we'd be one of those people that in psychology and even in pop culture is viewed as a, ha as a glass half empty person. We're not glass half empty people. I have a, a, a cup of iced coffee sitting here next to me that's at the 50% mark in the container that it's in. If I looked at that cup, my human nature is, which is a, the psychological mindset, show a person a, a, a cup that's at the halfway point. What is this cup to you? And whatever the answer is, it speaks subconsciously to where their mindset is or what their mind is set on or the thing and the, and the, the, the thought process that they attend to in order to maintain. So it's thought that if a person says that cup is half empty, that they're a pessimistic person. On the contrary, a person says that cup is half full. They're a positive person. I submit to you that while that could be a bellwether, that's not the determining factor because what the determining factor is, is a matter of will. There is no psychological or scientific quotient or uh, product or sum or remainder of synapses in the human mind that can physiologically make a person optimistic or pessimistic. That becomes a matter of will. And the word speaks about it this way. In Jeremiah 29 and 11, we have to grab on the scriptures like this because that's one of my favorite scriptures. And it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. 
John 10 and 10 puts it this way. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come, God says through Christ, that they might have life and that they have it more abundantly. And what Job tapped into, Job tapped into the realization that even though he didn't hear the conversation going on in heaven, even though he, he knew nothing about what was about to come his way, what he understood and knew is that his faith was founded on the fact that no matter what comes my way, God is in control. And as long as God is in control, I've got to praise. I've got a reason to give God praise. The best and wisest thing that any individual can do in any relationship is have and lay out a clear plan of attack for times of adversity when you're in a season of peace. Because when you're in the throes of adversity, we're not walking, if we're believers by faith, in that instant. Because our flesh, our human nature, wants us to walk in the thing that's got us upset, the thing that's got us distraught, the thing that has us in a position of fear, of believing that false evidence that because it appears so real in that instant that that's the absolute worst time. That we can try to sit down and map out a plan for couples in if a couple's in the midst of a fight, there's no way we can we can sit down and map out a plan of action of, of how to fight fair and how to fight in a godly way because we're in the midst of the fight. The best way to do that is to sit down when everything is calm, when it's at peace. Honey, look, I, I, let, let, let's talk about the, the parameters. Let's talk about the guardrails that we're going to put up in times we do disagree. Let's do it because even in our disagreement, we want to disagree with an end game of understanding that by faith we may go into this disagreeing. But because we know who God is, God is going to bring not only us back together as one because he put us together as one, but he's going to bring us back together as one in agreement once again, even stronger than we were before to be an even greater barrier to the enemy of attacking the kingdom. This is the mindset that we have to understand. We have to understand that everything that we do is an Old Testament illustration of the New Testament reality in which we live. Again, Jesus did not come to do away with the law, but he came to make a better version of it so that all of us have a fighting chance and an opportunity to not only make it in, but be productive in the midst of our living so that we can lead others to salvation. Because it goes away from what we can do in the natural. It's no longer works-based because that's what the law drove. It's grace-based with the understanding that in the midst of what we do, we're going to make mistakes. But we got to understand the why in which we're doing what we do. And even when we fall short and miss it and are going in the wrong direction, know that God loves us enough to allow us to turn around. And as long as it's our will to go the way that God wants us to go. Because the word says, like sheep, we all go astray. But because we go astray, it doesn't mean that we don't have an opportunity to come back because the word says to come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It doesn't say come unto me, those that were going the right way and turned off for a day. It doesn't say come unto me, all those who are going the right way, but just slipped up one time. Instead of falling all the way back down to step number one, which is what the law does. It says, come unto me, all ye who are heavy laden. No matter where you are in the battle, no matter where you are on the battlefield, if you can acknowledge me, God says, and you earnestly repent and turn away from the sin that separated you from me and do it believing that I am who I say I am. I'm here for you and I got something for you. I got something that's going to change your life. 
I got something that's going to turn you around. I got something that's going to make you different. I've got something that's going to truly make you a new creature. I've got something that's going to truly transcend the reputation that you have, truly transcend the environment that you're in because you're not the same thing. You're not the same person anymore because the Bible says that if any individual be in Christ, he or she is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Doesn't mean I'm scrapping any aspect of who your personality is because I made you just the way you are. If you're a hothead, I made you a hothead. What I want you to do now is get hot for the kingdom. And the boldness that you were using to go out there and rail against the things of me, I want you to use that same boldness to go out there and rail for me. Advocate for me. That's Paul's story. If you remember, Paul was Saul of Tarsus. He was on his way to do harm. When Jesus met him and knocked him off his beast and blinded him long enough so that when his eyes were opened, he had a new perspective. The pessimism towards Christianity was replaced with an insatiable optimism of belief in the kingdom and in, and, and in Christ. So faith is a declaration practically of perpetual optimism in the face of adversity and our full reliance upon God as well as a formal service of notice to Satan that, you, that we reject him and his pessimism. In one fell swoop, our faith lets God know every day, God, I'm with you. I'm with you. No matter what tries to come my way, no matter what tries to come and holler in my ear, no matter what tries to come and pull me to one side, I'm going to tell it to, to get the step and to move on because at the end of the day, I'm going home with you. When I was in college, that was one of the sayings that you know a lot of my frat brothers used to uh, say them and their their lady friends, you know, shared. And even when I finally, you know, did, you know, get blessed with a, a girlfriend in college, that was those one of the things, you know, when you go to a party, everybody flirts around and this, that, and the other. And, and you know, the girlfriend would say, you know, to the boyfriend, you know what, doesn't matter who tries to come and say something to me, nobody, doesn't matter who um, I'm, I'm out dancing with for that moment. At the end of the night, I'm going home with you. Meaning I came in a relationship with you. I'm leaving in a relationship with you because no matter what's going on all around me, challenges and trials and tests and temptations might come and I might slip and fall here and there. But at the end of the day, I understand and know to whom I belong. And I know where I'm going, where I'm going when this is over with. I know that you brought me here. I know that you've kept me up to the point of being here. And I know that even if we go our separate ways for a season, because of the bond that we have, that bond is going to draw us back to one another. And we're going to leave the same way that we came. That's what God desires us to have. Faith is that bond that we have in God as a result of the experience that we've had with God. Faith is the bond that Job had with God so that even when Satan got the okay from God to come down and wreak havoc on his family and, and wipe out his cattle and take away his riches and kill his family and leave his wife turned against him to the point where she's saying, why don't you curse God and die? Job didn't get caught up in all those being whispered at him and yelled at him and blown about and how he's getting pushed around and knocked around and talked about and made to feel little and made to feel that he was of none effect and made to feel that what you're doing has no bearing on the kingdom and nobody even believes in what you're doing. Sounds a lot like us in our walk today. We have to believe in the midst of all that. You, all that noise can keep on blowing like Jesus said to the wind and the waves, peace, 
be still because I know who I'm going ultimately home with. I know where my treasure is laid up. I know the charge that I have to keep. I know who it is that I have the mission to give glory to and to glorify in the earth. So my faith in the midst of adversity, my faith post, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, my faith is a declaration to God. God, I'm still with you. I'm still a half full kind of guy. I'm still believing that you can still do exceeding abundantly above all that I could ask or even think because of the power that's at work in me. And that power is not mine. That power is yours. And at the same time, I'm letting the devil know, devil, nice try, but trick no good. Nice shot, but you missed. You may have hurt me, but you should have killed me because Now that you didn't kill me, now I'm made even stronger. So now I'm going to take you out even more. That's what faith does. Faith equips us to go against the grain. Faith puts us in the mindset to be confrontational. Faith positions us to stand in the face of somebody that's railing against God. To stand in the face of somebody that's railing against us. And believe even in that instance, not in the, in the very best in them, but that the very best of my God can touch the heart of that individual and bring out the very best of them. That's the mindset that God desires us to walk in. That's the mindset that Job had to overcome adversity, which leads us to the, the last point in having faith in times of adversity. And that last point is that we gotta is, is that we've had to realize that faith always speaks from what we know and not from what we perceive. It speaks from what we know. It speaks from that X factor dynamic. It speaks from that place deep down in our knower that we know 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 that God is able. Now Job's decree, which is where the lesson, you know culminates into Job's decree in verses 21 and 22 came at the point of intersection in his life between his past experiences with God and his in the moment reliance upon God. The third point comes when point one meets point two at an intersection moment in time in life. Everything that we we've learned uh, comes to that point. We have to understand and realize that in the midst of our coming to understand that our faith transcends our environment and our reputation, that that transcendent has caught the attention of something supernatural. And we got to understand that that goes against the grain of what would be normal in the earth. And it brings about confrontation. And when, when the confrontation is asked for and an individual is continuing to move in a way that draws attention to themselves, it's the age old adage of irresistible force meeting an immovable object. And that point of impact is where faith speaks from what we know, not what we perceive, because what we know always trumps what we perceive, because when you know something in your knower, perception is based on interpretation. Perception is based on speculation. Perception is ultimately based on what we see. And the only thing that can be seen 
in the natural realm in a situation like that to affect the mind are the schemes that the enemy would have in front of us to get us to pay attention to. And those things elicit fear. But when we walk in faith, we see where we're going, but we don't see us in the driver's seat. We see God in the driver's seat and he's ordering our steps in his word so that no iniquity would have dominion over us. He's guiding and directing us because he knows the plans that he has for us. And we trust what his word says, that those plans are to bless us and to not harm us. Those plans are to give us a future and a hope. I used to say all the time about shows that I liked on TV when it came to the season end, when it came to the cliffhanger. You know, my family my family be watching. And I say, you know what? The good guy's going to be here. There's no way the good guy's going to be here, Derek. What are you talking about? I'm like, you know what? It's just, it, it, here's why I say that. This show is making this network millions on top of millions of dollars. They're not going to let the moneymaker die because they need the money to catch this. They need the moneymaker around to continue making the money, to continue turning the profit, to continue making the show viable to win other individuals into seeing the show. When we take that and, and extrapolate it to faith and apply it to God, God is not going to allow his word to be embarrassed and to come back void because his word says that heaven and earth will pass away before one jot or tittle of his word comes back void, which means we might be in a cliffhanger situation in our lives. We might be at what might be a season ender in our lives. We might be at a who shot JR moment in our lives where it looks like we're in trouble. Where it looks like we're down for the count. Where it looks like we're done. But it's in times like that where we can speak from what we know down in our knower like Job did. Job's family was gone. The cattle were dead. The sheep that reverenced him were, 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 were toast. His sons and daughters were obliterated. His wife had turned her back on him and turned her back on God to the point that the enemy spoke through her and told him, Why don't you just curse God and die? Everything was against him. Yet you tune into the first episode of the next season when Job is left there sitting at the season end pondering what he's going to do with that, perpe that, that, that perplexed look on his face with his hand on his chin, perhaps on his forehead, and it fades to black. Then you got to wait all summer to see what happens. Then when the season premiere comes, you're waiting with bated breath to see what he's going to say. And he says... Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord in all this. Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Faith is the intangible, beloved, that gives us the supernatural ability to see a way when there is no way. Because we believe in who God is and that he can do anything but fail. And that was a driving force behind why and how Job did what he did. For us in the New Testament, Luke said it best. For nothing will be impossible with God. He was speaking again about Jesus and what Jesus was going to do and what was going to happen. And the detractor was, was saying, as I paraphrase here, well, how in the world can that be? Because Nazareth? Something like that going to come from Nazareth? I mean, for real, Nazareth. Come on, you heard about what happened on Nazareth. You heard about what happened on, on 95th Street in Nazareth last night. If I could just play with it illustratively here. You heard about what happened over there. Yes, Luke says, for nothing 
will be impossible with God. And that's the mindset God wants us to be in, beloved. We've got to understand that faith, going back to the example I started with, is a byproduct of consistent exercise. Okay? Me setting up the space inside of my home to exercise, it wasn't the gym experience. It wasn't to catch this. It wasn't the gym experience. But it was. it's because of my experience in the gym that has driven me to continue to do what I would have done in a much more expansive place. Because it's in the humble beginnings where we do the work by faith, believing that it's seeds that are being sown, that's when we begin to bloom when we're planted. Because when we're planted in the experience of God and we're planted in the reality of who God is and we're planted in the knowledge of knowing that God can and we're planted in the discipline of doing what God has called us to do, irrespective of what it looks like. You know, believe me, as Noah, for 400 years, work was happening, building and building and building, not even a cloud in the sky. Whether that makes the weather in California and Hawaii and the tropics look horrible. Yet he just kept on building. Kept on saying rain is coming and kept on building and kept on saying rain was coming and did this for generations of people. He was mocked intergenerationally. But one day. A drop fell and then another one. And before you knew it, the very ones that were talking about him were beating on the door to get in. Despise not humble beginnings. Continue to walk by faith because faith is a byproduct of consistent exercise and it's a demonstration of the gains that we've made through God. And those gains become a witness to others of who God is. The gains that we make in the dungeons that we created to do our workout in, that's going to speak more about who we are and the character that we have and the discipline that we have and the commitment that we have to getting and staying fit than going to the gym every day. You can go to the gym every day and spend 10 minutes, just 10 minutes in the house to make it look like you're doing the work and never change. But if you put the time in three days a week, four days a week, five days a week here at home, nobody has to see you. Just you and God. And you, you, you say, God, I'm giving this to you and I'm giving it my all before you know it. When you start seeing those gains and those changes, you are so focused on being obedient and being committed that you don't even realize the gains are being, that are being made. You don't see them, but everybody else does. And it's your witness that brings about the revelation that, hey, God is doing it. Well, praise God. Which motivates us now to do even more. Not for our appearance, but so that it gives God glory. And that's what Job did. That's how he managed to demonstrate to us faith under fire. And God desires us to be equally as demonstrative of faith under fire. By always realizing that that faith is a weapon. Faith is a weapon that we have. To disrupt and thwart the enemy because faith is rooted in our will, driven by love with the guarantee that God will never leave us nor forsake us as long as we fully rely on him. Amen. We thank and praise God for the time together that we've had in Bible study and we thank and praise God for the privilege of studying his word. This has been a blessing to you. Please let me know. Reach out and let me know. Email me at livingtowitness at gmail.com. That's the word living, the number two, witness at gmail.com. 
If there are others that you know that would like to be a part of our Bible study, we do have Bible study every Wednesday. Um, please be watching out for uh, the outlets that we have. Please be, be watching out for the times and, and the numbers that, that are associated with our conference call. Uh, we'll definitely make those available to you. But more importantly, if you're interested in Bible study, email me. Email me at livingtowitness uh, at gmail.com. And I'll make sure and respond to you and, and let you know where we are and let you know what we're studying. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the time that we spent together in your word, oh God. We thank you for building up our faith as we've studied about faith under fire. Lord, like Job, let us declare and decree that your name is blessed no matter what situations are that we face, no matter what the trials are that may come our way, no matter what the tests are that we have to face, no matter where we are in our journey. Keep us ever mindful and rooted and grounded in the knowledge that you are God and apart from you there is no other. That you are our source of victory. You are our source of strength. You are our source of life and health and peace and joy forevermore. Make us doers of your word, O God, and not hearers only, Lord. Teach us how to walk by faith and not by sight. And as we do so and lift up your name and bless others, O God, we'll be mindful to give your name the honor, the glory, and all the praise forever. Watch over us and keep us, Lord, until we meet again is our ongoing prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank God and amen. God bless you until we meet again in study. I pray that you were blessed by today's word. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we would be saved. If you've never taken the opportunity to do either one of those things, won't you join me now in prayer? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I come before you a sinner. I believe that you sent your son to die that I might live. I believe that he lived, died, rose again, ascended to heaven, and is coming back for sinners just like me. I confess my sin, I ask you into my heart, and I ask you into my life. Thank you, Lord, that by faith I am now saved. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd like to welcome you into the household of faith and into a loving relationship of salvation with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please email me and let me know of your experience or if you have any prayer requests or praise reports, please email me. The email address is livingtowitness at gmail.com. That's living, the number two, witness at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Pastor Derek Thomas encouraging you to live your life as a living witness.